Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast for making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. I'm so appreciative that you would join me again for Around with Randall. Today is the last in the series regarding employment issues. And today we're going to address a survey that Hallett Philanthropy did which has kind of become overwhelming, which is a good thing long-term for data. Uh, We're very fortunate that we were able to put out this survey and we had nearly 1,500 responses to the 36-question survey. We tried to break it up into various pieces that included things like compensation, job looking, bonus structure, comparison, of salaries internally, non-monetary, how goals were set, and then the working environment. We laid it out in a way that allowed us to do what's called cross-tabulation, which meant we could divide up these segments based on some, what I will call demographic information that included things like what level position you were, how long you had been at the organization, how long have you been in the profession, are you actually looking for a job currently, actively? And that cross-tab, as it's called, allows us to kind of segment the data in some pretty interesting and positive ways. So those are the kind of the demographics. Let me talk about two areas very quickly because we've addressed them, but they became even more heightened. And I'll refer back to two other podcasts that we've done And then the third piece is kind of something that we've not talked about as much. So I want to spend just a second talking about the idea of how organizations, nonprofits are using internal comparisons for their setting of what I'll call HR upper and lower boundaries of salary and how that's affecting uh, gift officers and executives in particular. And the second is I want to address uh, the idea of flexibility. So for the first, we actually covered a great deal of these comparison issues in episode 40 of the podcast, which was salaries and benefits for nonprofits. So there's a lot of detail in there about how maybe comparisons could be done differently. But I wanted to pull a couple of of statistics that were interesting out of the survey that are going to even heighten that need for a a more robust, in-depth conversation. Uh, Number one is is that... Two-thirds of the executives, and we classify the executives as anyone who's a chief development officer, president, vice president, and then we had another category for just gift officers, and that could be any gift officer, plan giving, annual giving, major giving, principal gifts. That two-thirds of those who were executives felt as if their compensation was appropriately marked or evaluated internally against other like positions. However, what we also found is is that gift officers were at the absolute opposite of the spectrum. They believe that two-thirds of them, that their salaries were not compared accurately. And when you pulled out some anecdotal individual responses, it was mainly because they felt these gift officers as if there was a mass 
misunderstanding of what they did. That a manager who they're being compared with, let's say, on a nursing unit in healthcare, or maybe in a manager, let's say, in admissions or in another part of the institution, was not being held to the same standards. That a gift officer can lose their job in a year or two if they don't raise enough money, but a manager on a nursing floor doesn't have that same responsibility. We talked about it in that episode 40 about how maybe whether it's a surgeon or a faculty member or something of that nature, the comparisons would be much better. But what that's telling us is, is that we need to be careful because gift officers don't feel as if they're being compensated correctly. They are a revenue stream in this process. So go back and look at episode 40. The other one was the idea of flexibility. And that was covered in episode 29, which was the leadership and, and location. Where is your team working? A lot of good details in, in that particular podcast about what's needed in terms of leadership as we move into a new era. Alice Ayers, who is the CEO of AHP, which is the Association for Healthcare Philanthropy, here in the last week produced her monthly CEO uh, comment or the CEO uh, corner, as I believe she calls it, talking about this issue. And in her article, she mentioned several statistics, and I'm going to mention some here that actually parallel each other, two different studies. She's quoting Pew. I'm going to quote my own statistics from the survey we did, but they're essentially the same. What I really took from Alice and her comments, and, and someone that I have a great deal of respect for, is she talks about the difference between a office culture and a team culture. And I think that's a unique distinction. Flexibility is really going to be important for organizations to come to reckon in that employees are saying, if I'm not given flexibility on where I work, how often I have to come in, that me having to come in five days a week is not going to sit well. So some just some additional statistics. 45% of respondents in my survey, the one that was done in the last couple of weeks, indicated they spend 70% of their time currently at home and that they find it works for them. 20% of those who responded indicated that they work at home at least 90% or from home base, 90%. Several other statistics to keep in mind. Is, is that respondents who indicated that it was an important thing that they have that flexibility were exponentially more likely to leave the organization if they weren't granted that flexibility. And when you use, as I've talked about this crosstab, kind of breaking apart the statistics, gift officers were nine times more likely to leave the organization if they're not granted long-term flexibility in being able to work from home versus the office. Those are staggering numbers because what it's telling us is that people for the last, let's say, 15, 16, 17 months through COVID have found a different kind of routine. And really, this is going to lead us to this concept, which we talked just a little bit about what's called the Great resignation. So a Texas A&M professor named Anthony Klotz coined the phrase, and he studies the idea as an economics professor, 
uh, how employment and movement of people affects economics. And he basically studies why people resign and why they relocate and why they take new jobs. What is research is telling him, and he's producing a great deal of, of this in, in written form, is, is that people are coming back to work with a new perspective of their world, that COVID has shaken it up so much that they realize that the value that needs to be had personally with home work balance is critical. And if you're in Los Angeles, and it used to be you were okay with a two-hour commute to and then an additional two-hour commute home before COVID, you're not going to be. And that you're willing to take a little bit less money to be at home a little more often. Or if you live, uh, let's say, in a Midwestern community like Omaha, Nebraska, you may not be willing to go into the office four days or five days a week when you can do 80, 90% of your work out of your home office and then go in just a couple days a week for important meetings and things of that nature. This goes back to what Alice Ayers mentioned, and we, we talked about a few minutes ago, the difference between an office culture and a team culture. An office culture is one where people are present in the same place. A team culture are the, is the people and the, the kind of the self-supporting environment that can be built with the people who are all trying to gather together, maybe not physically, but towards the same goal. This is going to become a challenge. People are saying they're willing to leave their current employment for more flexibility. And those of us who are very traditional, and I throw myself into that hat, who go to office an office every day, as I've told you a million times, I'm so routine oriented. I get up, I take a shower, get in the car, I go to my office. In between there, my home and my office, I stop and get my Diet Mountain Dew and my Egg McMuffin, and I'm at work all day. That works for me, but more and more people are saying it's not working for them. And this idea of the great resignation, people will make choices, change entire industries if we don't provide them flexibility. That's going to be a real challenge for our organizations. Okay, so those are two of the biggies that we pull out. We'll have more information on those in writing in a white paper here coming up soon, but you can go back and listen to those podcasts. The last couple of minutes I want to spend is something I don't talk much about, and that's this idea of bonuses. We tried in the survey to pull out a little information about what people are thinking about in terms of bonus structure. What we found was is that about 56% of recipients do not have an individual bonus, and 53% indicate their organization doesn't have an, a bonus structure at all. 75%, those who indicated that they don't have a bonus structure, says their organization would never really entertain the subject. So that gives you some kind of basic demographic perspective. But I think what's more important is what the individuals are saying. Those who do not have a bonus structure are more likely to leave their current employer than those that have one. And I think just basic thought, quick thought, makes that somewhat reasonable and rational. But the numbers in describing it are more significant than I even imagined. When you do the comparisons inside of where people work, 
what we find is is that 75% of executives who answered uh, questions on the survey say they have a bonus structure, but only 40% of gift officers say that they do. And those bonus structures are anywhere between 5 and 20%. What's scary is, is that those gift officers without a bonus structure are nine times more likely to go look for a job. And in fact, one of the questions that we asked was, are you currently looking for a job? And those who do not have a bonus structure indicate that they are five times more likely to be currently looking for a job. In addition, those that have a bonus structure in some way, shape, or form exponentially feel as if the organization is more fair in their comparisons of their salary internally against other maybe positions of the organization. What is this telling us? What what does all this mean? Well, uh, we always try to get to the tactical. So the first tactical piece is, is there's going to be a very detailed white paper that will be published by Hallett Philanthropy that we put up on the website. And if you get regular emails from us, you'll get notifications so you can get it. It won't cost anything. But it's going to take us a little bit of time to pull this data out in and then get it into a presentable form that's readable. Uh, it's just immense, and it's great. It's going to be so helpful if people are willing to pay attention. So the first tactical piece is pay attention. You probably can find some good information here pretty quickly, specifically on the nonprofit sector. For the leadership, long-term, I think something I recommended uh, in episode 40 of the podcast is, is that we're going to have to have a longer, harder fight to get salary comparisons through HR, particularly in larger organizations, to be more fair. Gift officers are telling us they are going to leave if they don't receive fair compensation. Anecdotally, I've got a couple clients that are going through this process. And what they're finding is, is that people, experienced, talented fundraisers, proven commodities, are saying, you got to pay me. I'm bringing in $2 million a year. I deserve 10%. Not a commission. We're not talking about Salesforce. But when they look at the hard numbers, their comment is, why am I being paid $90,000 for delivering $2 million? You got you to raise that number. So long-term, we're going to have to keep fighting to get a better understanding of the rigors that come with being a gift officer, that it's not like being a nurse manager or being a manager in a university somewhere where there's not a revenue goal. It's just not the same. And HR, it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they don't see it that way. So the long term is is we got to continue that that communication, that fight. Short term, we really are going to have to highlight the idea of what I consider non-compensation benefits. There was a great deal of, of comment commentary in the survey we did from people who talked about how important non-compensation benefits were, so non-salary non, uh, or bonus. Uh, benefits like health insurance and the cost and the ability to be flexible 
and the ability to grow were incredibly important to individuals, particularly revenue-producing gift officers. So how do you, as an organization, create the best benefits package, but also sit down and create an environment that's flexible and allows an employee to grow in their career, both personally and professionally, and to make up maybe some of the salary issues, base salary, how do we add bonus structure? And remember our ethics in our industry says you can't get a a commission. So bonus structure was really built when we looked at some of the data from our survey was built on things like metrics, uh, things, uh, the biggest things that were talked about was, you know, obviously dollars raised, but things like how many uh, gifts above a certain dollar figure or how many new people came into the pipeline, or how many new gifts were found. So we're going to have to incentivize good behavior. So on the leadership side, we're going to have to figure out how to create better opportunities for our employees that aren't based on just their salary or bonus. If you're a gift officer and you're like, I'm out there looking, or I'm maybe looking, or I'm not sure I should be looking, but I'm not happy. When you go through an interview process, one of the things I would recommend is ask someone, and probably not in the foundation or the development office, if it's a bigger organization, ask them how they come to their salary range. What's the methodology? Who are they comparing it to? You need to do your own research. Use AFP, AHP. There's some great studies out there that give general information about what salary ranges are for gift officers in certain areas of the country, your area, wherever you are. You need to look at all of the non-base compensation opportunities and ask about them. Be your own advocate. I want to grow. What will my opportunities be? I have a family and I can do my job and be highly successful without having to drive X number of miles in Y amount of time. Can we make that work? The last piece is most challenging is is trying to be reasonable. It's hard when you believe that you're worth more. But price, economics, supply and demand is always based on this idea of where the supply meets demand on a curve or two curves. And why you think you're worth more, if you can't find somebody to pay you, then it doesn't make a difference what you're worth. So you, what you think you're worth. You have to be reasonable. And it may take some time to build up and create credibility and create, have an organization understand the value that you bring. There's so much data in this survey. I'm so excited to be able to kind of pull it out and, and spend a little bit of time over the next couple of weeks putting out nuggets and things of that nature. And you'll see much more either on the website or uh, through LinkedIn or maybe in a future podcast. But this has been an interesting month talking about employment. I hope it's been helpful to you, both as a leader and or gift officer or someone else internally in the organization. Don't forget, if you'd like to reach out to me, that's podcast at hallettphilanthropy.com, hallettphilanthropy.com. And Don't forget to check out the blogs. We keep those kind of separate than the podcast most of the time. Things going on in our industry or nonprofit or just in the world in terms of leadership and ethics. 90-second reads. And I hope that uh, maybe they can be helpful in spurring some thought for you. 
as I do each and every time on a round with Randall, let me tell you my favorite Gaelic saying, favorite saying overall. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. We live in a world where there's more and more people who are wondering what happened. And nonprofit work, philanthropy can be an answer to many of those people and many of their challenges and many of our community's needs. And it's people who want to make things happen, like yourself, in building relationships with community leaders who also want to make things happen, that make the difference in helping others. And that's the basis of philanthropy, love of mankind. So I hope you realize the value you bring. And I hope you spend a little time thinking about how you can better those relationships and match up the need in your organization to what the community's willingness, individually or collectively, will support. The last of the five in the month, unemployment. Next month, we'll jump into campaigns and talk a little bit about those in a four-part series. What is it that makes a great campaign? What are some of the hiccups? What are some of the challenges? And I hope you'll join me to talk about that and much more right here on Around with Randall. And don't forget, make it a great day.